to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> a little yawn there, Adam. You all right? No, I wasn't. Tired? I wasn't yawning. I was. Uh, I I carry a lot of tension in my jaw. Oh, I don't know if oh. you know that. Because <laughs> of bruxism. I mean, that's that's a thing that only happens for me at night. But a lot of times, like if I'm, if I choose to be present in any given moment, I will notice that tightness, and I'll just kind of yeah. try to stretch it out. Oh. I'll do it before a show sometimes. I always think of that as just being you showing me your fangs to intimidate me. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of mental tortures I deploy, like just before we hit record. (laughs) Try to get you off balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you want in a co-host, I'm sure. uh, I always go out on stage having just been told that uh, you've got my back out there. The back is just where I put the kick me sign. (laughs) Yeah. I've got I've got a target on your back is is what is what you really mean. You saying it's not like that for you and Dan Kennedy? <laughs> He's not constantly uh sticking a finger in your eye. Dan Kennedy uh and I have very complimentary neuroses. He's a fear-based man and I'm a guilt and shame-based man, so Wow. <laughs> we just really walk on eggshells around each other. That must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. One of these days, we'll we'll find a compatible co-host for you, man. Oh, It'll yeah. happen. <laughs> in the meantime, we've got some uh, some mail that has come in to the Greatest Generation podcast. Yeah, and, is that going to um, soften the blow a little bit? Opening up some nice gifts from our viewers? I hope so. Yeah, this stuff is all stuff that came before the end of 2021. Oh, and, wow. Uh, if, if you're listening to this and you're interested in sending stuff in and already have a P.O. box written down, chances are it has changed since last you got it. Yeah. Uh, we moved our, our P.O. box so that it wasn't all the way across town from both of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, weird. Why would we do that? I don't know. I, I don't know why we made that decision, but we made that decision. Uh-huh. Um, I continued to have it uh, closer to my house because your wife has made it very clear to me that she will not brook you being the person receiving the bulk of the mail anymore. Who's more hostile to the idea of you and this show? Me or her? (laughs) Some days it's hard to tell. Well, she's never told me she had my back, so. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's how you know you're in trouble. Yeah. So I know Um, I'm in trouble with her. Oh, yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of mail here, and I was just saying that to let people know that if you would like to send something into the program, reach out to Bill Tilly again to get a new P.O. box, because the old one is no more. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. We also didn't fire up Twitch this time. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, those who are watching the show right now, live, will we'll get this experience. We're not doing the Twitch this time, but I think you will delight in our descriptions of what's happening if you're consuming the audio-only medium of our show right We're going to paint a word picture that is as good as any streaming show. Better than any streaming show, let's be honest. Yeah, lots better. 
Our first package here is from Justice and Peach of Denton, Texas, and it's to us. Denton, Texas, home of the Centromatic Band that I like very much. Uh, Justice and Peach is a jewelry and handcrafts Etsy store. Uh, gentlemen, I've been listening since y'all were twice weekly, and I love the show more with each passing year. Voyager was my comfort food during some of the worst times of my life, and getting to hear it with y'all now when things are going surprisingly well is a true delight. Please enjoy these handmade beaded bracelets in Command Red, Engineering Gold, and Science Officer Blue or Aqua? I thought your wives might enjoy a pretty intersection of interests or that y'all might. Hit me up if you want a fourth. Drusilla. Wow. Can you imagine liking our show the longer you listen to it? That's amazing to hear. <laughs> these are really cool. Wow, look at those. I'm, yeah. Uh, these are beaded bracelets that I think that if you wore them together really read as the Star Trek colors. But mm-hmm, if, you, mm-hmm. if you wore one of them individually, I think might just read as bracelet. Oh, that's fun. Thank you, Drusilla. These are great. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly, uh, but uh, if uh, folks are interested in checking this stuff out, uh, there is an Etsy. It's etsy.com slash shop slash justice and peach. All right. We got another one here. This is a flat manila envelope. I'm guessing comic book just based on what I'm feeling through the packaging. And this one comes from Benjamin H. of Manassas Park, Virginia. Hmm. A very short note. It just says, found another comic for you. <laughs> That's, That's great. Literally all it says. <laughs> uh, and it's a Star Trek comic. It's a, a Star Trek Boldly Go comic. Hey, that's one of the newer ones. Yeah. Written by Mike Johnson with art by Tony Shastine. That's one of those IDW comics. IDW puts out a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, and it looks like it is Kelvin timeline likenesses on the characters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wow, I can't wait to read it. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do like a bonus episode about this comic. Who knows? I like that idea. All right, this this next one is uh, from Jackson H of Spring, Texas. A lot of Texas in the mailbag today. How about that? This is an envelope with a card. Let's see. Happy holidays, Ben and Adam. You bring laughter into my home each year, and I wanted to brighten your season two. H-W-I-M-H got... Oh, uh, he who is my husband, I'm guessing, got me these Star Trek tarot card stickers, and I passed the ones I thought matched you along. Adam, Worf, for you, because you expend purpose and energy in keeping emotions, thoughts, and feelings close to the best. But that card means you have a warrior's heart and should not fear anything, even letting people know how you really feel. The people who love you are warriors too and will protect you. Ben, Q is for you because he is super intelligent, clever, and strong, but in his core, he is searching for acceptance and uses his attributes to set himself apart so he won't be hurt. But the card says you are already loved and accepted despite your idiosyncrasies, so you can relax and revel and the affirmations of the folks who care for you, even if they aren't as strong or clever as you are. Wow. Trust the tarot, boys, and have a wonderful new year. I hope to see you on tour if you come to the jackass state of the Union, Texas. XOXO, Jackson. P.S. Forgot to say, congrats on your puppy, Adam. And hey. Ancient as I am, I knew 
when you said her name on air that she was named for the most badass sci-fi hero, Ripley. That's right. Even your puppy is a warrior. Fucking A. Wow. So Jackson has included some uh, <laughs> some delightful tarot stickers for us. Uh, I don't know much about tarot cards, and by that I mean... I don't know anything at all about them, but is it bad luck to bust up a, a deck? Is it like a deck of cards where you'd never want to take out like the oh. four of diamonds and give that away? <laughs> like, does that does that render your tarot card deck unusable going forward? What? I don't know. I, these are stickers also, so that, I think yeah. they're just stickers that are in the style of a tarot deck. But I, I would see. love to see the full deck of, of Trek tarot. That's pretty fun. And really uh, nice sentiments also. Like, like that's a thoughtful pairing of those cards to us. I'm, I'm a little concerned at how well Jackson seems <laughs> to know us. <laughs> Jackson uh, makes the case for Texas. I can't think of yeah. Texas without thinking of beef rib, which is something yeah. you and I had a couple nights ago together uh, in L.A., the L.A.-style beef rib, but God, that beef rib in Texas. Yeah. Hard to that's beat. That's a... That's a special thing. Yeah. Our next one here is uh, the Friends of DeSoto Community Cookbooks from the Greatest Exo Cooks. Awesome. Look at that. They turned out great. It looks like there's one for you and one for me. Of course, Mary, Tan Ying, and Jillian uh, co- compiled the, these recipes, and you and I both submitted recipes to this, and we wrote a little, a little forward as well. This came out great. That's cool. Excited to get into that. Yeah. So I think that by the time we're broadcasting this, sales of the Greatest Exo Cook book may be over. But um, the proceeds go to The Hunger Project, and uh, I think they raised quite a bit of money for The Hunger Project, which is really cool. I love seeing Friends of DeSoto putting together a big project and also thinking about people in need in the process. Yeah, if you're going to do a thing, you might as well do some good at the same time. And that was the thinking here. Pretty great stuff. Our next package here is to you and me from something called Mod in Lexington, Kentucky. Here it says, hey gents, this isn't directly Trek related, but you may recall I gave you guys some of my books ancient eons ago and did a priority one a while back. I have a new book out. I don't know. Perhaps you might enjoy them. From Stephen Notley. And what we have is a couple of Bob the Angry Flower books. Bob the Angry Flower is the is a comic by uh, by Stephen Notley. And uh, he included a book for you and a book for me in here. I was just thinking about Bob the Angry Flower because I happened upon that book when I was uh, going through my bookshelf lately. I, does my memory serve me in that we met Stephen at a Max Fun meetup in Seattle, Washington? That's where I remember it happening. Yeah. Yeah. He was a really nice guy, and uh, and, and these books are, are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations on the new book. I hope f- folks will go out and check it out. It's called An Excellent Use of One's Time is the title <laughs> of Stephen's new book. Everyone's publishing books lately. Ben, print isn't dead. It, it's really catching. Who said it was? Show me that motherfucker. I mean, Egon Spangler said it was? Yeah. Another Texas package here, Adam. It's from Moss of Copple, Texas. Does it smell like beef rib? Vaguely. I don't think anything gets through that post office without coming in contact with at least one beef rib, right? I went to an elementary school that was uh, several blocks away from a factory that made pet food. Oh, (laughs) 
Wow. And like you'd go out to recess and the smell was just heavy in the air yeah. of like dog food, dry dog you... food specifically. <laughs> My mom worked uh, at, a, at an elementary school that was a few blocks away from the Mother's Cookies factory. Yeah. And in the afternoon, the air around there just smelled like chocolate. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I did a video shoot out in Philadelphia near the Hershey's factory, and it was the same effect out there. The reason I brought it up is, like, I wonder how many parts of Texas you can find yourself in that just smell like barbecue all the time. (laughs) Uh, We have a card here, a holiday card. It says, Dear Adam and Ben, I am hopeful that my macarons have arrived, arrived in one piece rather than in shards. Oh, no, this is a perishable gift that has been sitting here for... Oh, probably too long. Uh, the filling is supposed to be cherry almond buttercream. Shelf stable, of course. Wow. Okay. Your podcast and learning to make macarons have helped keep me sane during a chaotic 2021, and I have made so many wonderful friends along the way. Uh, all thanks to you guys. Can't wait to hear you guys get deeper into Voyager. I recently rewatched the show and fervently wish somebody like Catherine Janeway had been able to lead us through uncertain times not Chakotay though seriously fuck that guy <laughs> wow anyway enjoy the macarons and hope you all make it to Dallas on tour Brian Moss shots fired at Chakotay a character I thought had done a fairly good job at redeeming himself yeah over the yeah. course of the season does he have another heel turn to come I don't know <laughs> I mean this letter's got me wondering hey let's um, see those macarons Oh yeah, I'm gonna shout out Brian's uh, Instagram. It's the obsessive macaronist on, on IG. This is very well wrapped. I, I'm not concerned that these are sharded. There's a little bit of what looked like sprinkles that made it to the outside of the container. Oh, they are slightly sharded. Wow. <laughs> should I? Should I? Uh, yeah, you gotta take I, one uh, to the dome. Pig that's, myself? Yeah. That's the tradition. Whenever we do a code forty-seven. It is. All right. Oh, man. Edible gold on the top? I like how, how both halves are look like a different flavor. Well, they're like, they're nebulous world. They look great. Wow. All right, I'm going to try this. Ben is taking a bite. He's taking half of the macaroni ah! of the dome. Ah! 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 I'm just kidding. It's delicious. And uh, that's, <laughs> whenever you go out to eat with Ben, that's the sound he makes when he really likes a thing. It's why we asked to be seated uh, in a corner or out in a patio. Yeah. Is there a chef's table that we could do this? Because the beef rib is really going to appeal to Ben, and it's going to get ugly. <laughs> um, this, I have to say, is I mean, it's not like getting a macaron like fresh out of the display case at the mall macaron station, but it has stood up surprisingly well. I only ever see these in airports. I was one time in the uh, in the airport in in Paris in the brand new terminal in the height of the summer. You can smoke in the airport in Paris, right? <laughs> Maybe. It was not being air conditioned. It was so hot in there, and I just heard this like very fancy French woman in French say like, "There's no air conditioning. It's a little bit primitive, is it not?" <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the perfect airport food, I think. Yeah. The macaron is pretty does, great. 
No, it's not going to upset your seatmates when you bring a macaron on board the plane. It's not going to mess up your fingers. It's not going to smell bad. It's it's poppable in a nice way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, our last package here is from John G. of Brooklyn, New York. It's to us. It's got a uh, what looks like a crocodile drawn on the outside. Dear Mrs. Uxbridge and Shimoda, whichever of you is which, Greatest Gen has been my primary soundtrack these past few years, during which I've been writing and drawing children's graphic novel series, Investigators. It's about two alligators named Mango and Brash who wear vests and solve crimes. I've been a Trek fan all my life, as well as a cartoonist who's a little bit embarrassed to be a cartoonist, as evidenced by this printout of the cover of a Trek parody comic I did as a kid shortly after TNG came out. For supplemental reading material, I've included the first four Investigators books. The books have a miriam of puns and wordplay and a sprinkling of potty humor. Bashir may not be a first officer, but he's number one in our bladders. I mean, hearts. So I think that they'll appeal to your McLaughlin group. Mm. (laughs) Oh, boy. John, that is a strained pun if ever (laughs) One of the things I frequently ask myself on the show, and and I don't often say it out loud, but I'll definitely say it to myself, is, uh, Mm. is it in joke? Mm. Sometimes Mm. I don't know. I sometimes like to just suggest putting just the tip of the joke in. Right. You know. Uh, The books are, of course, supposedly aimed towards six-year-olds. And to the best of my knowledge, neither of you have children. But what my theory presupposes is maybe you know people that do. If you don't want to be stuck with the books, hopefully there is a slick back or two you could pass them off to. Anyways, your pod has kept me company while I've been space buttholed up like a hermit making these books, and I wanted to send you a token of appreciation. Thanks, Ben and Adam. Sincerely, John Patrick Green. Uh, this is a much better childhood-drawn comic than mine ever looked like. Mine, mine did not look good. Yeah, my childhood comics have been put to shame. Um... And uh, and we got four of these books here, the investigators. And uh, look at that; these look really, really fun. I definitely got to pass these off to uh, some of the kids in my life um, who are age appropriate for it. Once I read them myself. Yeah, you should definitely like hang outside of a playground, giving stuff away to the kids there. Mm-hmm. Maybe a nice thing. To hey, do. I've got some macarons that. Uh, I mean, they're a little busted up, but they taste great. And uh, I've got some kids' literature, too. Any takers? (laughs) (laughs) I predict Uh, that's going to go great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll do my best to remember to take uh, Instagram photos of all these things so uh, Bill Tilly can throw them up on the uh, Greatest Trek Instagram account. Good call. But uh, thank you so much to everyone who sent stuff in. This is a a great haul and and a lot of books, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for everyone's generosity when they send stuff into the P.O. Box. And uh, nothing in there looks like it would kill Bill. Which is, of course, uh, the first rule of P.O. Boxing when you're dealing with Greatest Generation. Right. Don't send us anything well, you wouldn't want Bill to open. Yeah, uh, and, and, and nothing that you wouldn't feel okay about Bill having to eat, specifically. Right. <laughs> Bill, the, the official food taster and card daddy of Greatest Gen. Yeah. Do you want to uh, get into today's episode of Star Trek colon Voyager? Can't wait, Ben. It is a weird little episode. 
It's Star Trek Voyager <laughs> Season 3, Episode 10, Warlord. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Where we open on a fairly grotesque scene of torture on the holodeck where Paris and Kim are forced to watch Neelix get a foot job by a Talaxian female. Yeah. The long-rumored Tarantino Star Trek movie is uh, not the first time he's directed something for for Star Trek. You just really got an axe to grind with uh, with Quentin Tarantino, huh? (laughs) What did he ever do to you besides make great films constantly? He made great films that feature extended scenes where I have to look at feet. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that at all. What I do have a problem with is Neelix's feet specifically. He's yeah. holding court describing his preferred brand of vacation to Paris and Kim. Yeah. And kind of suggesting it to the rest of the crew. Yeah, he's 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 recreated Talaxian Risa in the holodeck, and Paris and Kim are there trying to humor him yeah it's nice but they have a lot of ideas about you know punch-ups that they'd like to pitch for for this holodeck simulation it can be hard to agree on a recreational activity among friends let alone co-workers Mm. this is like three people trying to decide where the company picnic's gonna be i had a friend tell me about like a a workplace environment that he was in where they often made jokes because uh, Hooters in Manhattan was like right downstairs from where they worked and they would always joke about, let's get lunch at Hooters today. Uh-huh. And one day they actually did it and it like was a source of great regret for him and everyone that was involved just because it was like such an uncomfortable thing to do with work friends. Is not, That's not who you take to Hooters. You really don't want to eat finger foods with work friends. And and yeah. the, the wing <laughs> as a snack is, is just like, it's like eating spaghetti on a date or something. It's hard to look professional <laughs> when you get a napkin tucked in your neck. <laughs> Yeah. Eating hot wings. Yeah, but that's uh, clearly the only problem I'm seeing in enjoying a meal at Hooters, right? That's it. Yeah, you you nailed it, Adam. Um. <laughs> Kim and Paris, as you said, have notes, and these yeah. notes absolutely shit all over Neelix's vision. Which I know this episode does not want us to linger in this part, but like, it really papers over Neelix's cultural interests utterly he's like trying to make this a talaxian thing and kim and paris are like no man this needs to be like an all-inclusive sandals resort with like (laughs) with like a buffet and steel drum band vibe loosen it up yeah right you think it's not gonna go over well but neelix loves it he's like wow like we have it twisted on Talax. We are not doing it right when we when we cut loose. We need a much we need a much taller drinking vessel. Yeah, we need hooves. The, the The beverages they replicate are probably as close as canonical Trek will ever come to a hoof drink. These glasses are fun, but they're definitely the kind of glasses where if you don't use the straw, and it is strongly recommended that you do, but if you mm-hmm. don't use the straw and you tip that thing back. It's oh. going all over you. You better have a washable shirt on. Yeah. And shorts. Like, all all that ice is going down the front of your shorts, like, uh, like it's bound to happen <laughs> at, at any cabana. Or, yeah, yeah. Or wear a mesh shirt like Harry does. Right. 
uh, Harry uh, has the computer bring in some uh, some bikini ladies from his beach volleyball simulation. Paris brings in some steel drum guys from Earth's Caribbean region. <laughs> I think he de- describes it as. They change the clothing of the bartender. Yeah. This looks like a, a pretty fun tropical hang uh, until uh, Neelix starts dancing with these ladies. And uh, and then it just doesn't seem that fun anymore. It's silly as hell, but God, Ethan Phillips is rocking these slipper feet in a way that could look super dumb and difficult, but it, but it looks <laughs> like they're a part of him. It does, He yeah. does a good job yeah. with this dance. I guess so, yeah. I mean, the thing that shocked me about this moment was that it was the fade-out to theme. It's like the show saying, you're not going to want to see what happens next. <laughs> you know? Like, who is who is waiting through the credits and the commercials to find out what happens? There's no hook here. Voyager has had so many good episodes toward the end of season two and the beginning of season three that it's like, let's start to fuck with them a little bit. Yeah. I challenge you to come back for the rest of this episode. You really got to want to stick around. And and that way, maybe this is the most greatest gen cold open we've ever seen. (laughs) It's the first time Star Trek did a a Marin on one of its canonical shows. All senior officers, report to the bridge. Kim and Paris get called away, uh, just like Kess does from her quarters after the theme. Kess is being called to Six Bay because on the bridge, we see on the view screen that there is a ship on fire out there. And Ensign Kim's deep V really chills out the stress of this moment, I thought. Like, (laughs) how seriously could I possibly take this? Yeah. Well, he is luxuriating in his comfort he's really chilling the most they have to bring the ship within sort of dangerous range of the ship that they're trying to rescue because uh, its warp core is critical and they're going to have to get close enough to beam the survivors off of it that when it blows it could potentially cause them damage but uh we actually see this happen like they they run the transport the banger gets dropped on Voyager, and like before the ship even stops shaking, Tuvok is like, no, that was fine. All major systems are undamaged. <laughs> and then in a scene straight out of the last episode, they all retire to the mess hall, and they're clinking glasses, <laughs> celebrating another successful rescue. <laughs> Down in Six Bay, it's real like ER vibes. A lot of running around, trying to fix these people up. There is uh, one person on the slab that is in a greater amount of pain than anyone else. A pain that the doc knows well, right? Like, the doc knows about being burned. Yeah. The the lady is, like, saying, like, you've got you've to save my husband. Did you clock the actor that played Tyrion, the guy that's dying? No. So this is Lee McCloskey, who also played the murderer Dax host on DS9. Oh, cool. He looks so uh, different I, in this. Yeah, yeah. Does, does not look the same at all. But I read that he also went to Juilliard where he was roommates with Kelsey Grammer. What the fuck? <laughs> I swear, you stick a couple of pipe cleaners and a goatee on that guy, he is unrecognizable. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm talking about Kelsey Grammer. Right. Yes. No. Yeah. (laughs) 
So uh, so they try and fail to save this dude, and the wife is in tears, and Kess, very comforting, gives her a, a great big comforting hug uh, to, to try and um, make her feel better about the passing of her husband, who, like, they just didn't have enough time. Like, their, their medical interventions were incompatible with his biology. There was nothing they could do. I was grabbed by the moment, I mean, much like Nori is grabbed by Kess, in that, like, oh, is this what she wants? Like, RSVP Terran, but, like, boy, Kess is really up on the stranger. I mean, it banks on the knowledge that you have about Kess. Kess knows what Nori wants. Yeah, and also in retrospect, like... Kess has got Terran in her at this point. Right, yeah. We don't know that watching it the first time, but... No. um, It did cross my mind, like, what if this is an alien species that does not have a hugging element of their culture you know yeah Ugh, what are you doing <laughs> in the aftermath uh nori and the other guy aiden described their circumstances to janeway like like what they were doing out there on that ship that they were attacked yeah. they were they were in like a, a trading corridor that is very popular with the the space pirates in that area and they're extremely grateful for the help aiden is a uh, prominent physician and Nori is a uh, cousin of the Autark, who's the leader of their society. So they were kind of prime targets, and Janeway's kind of getting this information from them in her ready room where she's, you know, pouring them cups of, uh, I don't know, vegetable, vegetable broth. broth, I presume. Yep. <laughs> the diplomatic broth flows freely in this scene. She's going to get them to Alari, which is their home planet, and uh, is l- really looking forward to meeting the Autark. We cut back down to Talaxi and Risa. Sort of feels like a scene where the show is uh, saying, like, this isn't totally sexist. There's also female gays here. Look at this hunk that BLT had the computer create. What this holodeck program presupposes is... What would Bradley Whitford look like if he were an absolute unit? <laughs> I, I always wondered that. Yeah, and uh, and that is BLT's type. I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. Great program, Neelix. Absolute unit Bradley Whitford wears the, the sort of briefs-style bathing suit that has vent holes out the mm-hmm. side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, leaving yeah. barely anything to the imagination. He really would be right at home in a pants-optional gay nightclub <laughs> situation with those briefs. How does Star Trek get away with this level of nudity? It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. We got, we got so much underboob a couple episodes ago, and now we get side schlong, basically. <laughs> yeah. This is a deep V that shows dick neck. This is definitely not a costume they auctioned off, right? Or is it? (laughs) Just imagine the smell. Yeah. There's a prop out there for everyone. I guess so. Neelix uh, radios to Kess, who is uh, a little bit late for a date that they had planned. And she is off in the transporter bay giving a tour to their Alari guests. And uh, they've never encountered a transporter before, but she's kind of like putting their minds at ease. You can tell something's wrong with Kess in this scene because she describes the transporter as completely safe and never (laughs) having any issues with her or anyone she loves. 
<laughs> She's already forgotten about Tuvix. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit weird that she went out of her way to say that the back of your head will look totally normal yeah. after you materialize. <laughs> Neelix is like, hey, you blew off our lunch. And this causes Kess to blow off her transporter room tour. A little bit of blow-off transference. Yeah. She heads back to the holodeck and is having a, you know, lunch in paradise, but she's listless and headachy and not really engaged. This is what happens when you get a salad on vacation. Like, yeah. it always seems like a good option, normally. Right. But when you're on vacation, sometimes it can be fun to splurge. Live it up, you know? I mean, that's what super jacked Bradley Wifford should be eating. Kess should be eating a lunch of ice cream sandwiches here. Leave the responsible choices to Unit Whitford. <laughs> right. Neelix would like to, her to, quote unquote, go sailing with him. Is sailing code for broom closet? Yeah, I think I think that's code for broom closet. <laughs> like he's blowing right past the fact that she's already said that she had a headache. Yeah. So... Yeah, headache is code for I don't want to, quote unquote, go sailing. (laughs) And listen, like never run through the stop sign, I'd say. Right, yeah. If you want to go sailing and your special person doesn't want to go sailing, doesn't feel like it for any reason, it's fine. Plenty of nice days ahead. Let the headache subside or let whatever it is that the headache is an excuse for subside. Be there for them. Maybe you go sailing by yourself. Maybe you start cranking the spinnaker... Out on your own private lake, you know? Mm. <laughs> Cranking something. This is typical of you, Neelix. Neelix does not follow this advice. He does blow through the first stop sign. Yeah. And this really locks in a dynamic. This is Cass sort of being determined to have a lover's quarrel, despite Neelix being, like, almost impossibly reasonable at every turn as this conversation progresses. But this scene also pays off a feeling we've had about Kess and Neelix for three and a half seasons. Like, if you were to transpose this reaction from Kess to the beginning of the season, or the middle of season two, or the beginning of season one, I would <laughs> I would argue it's totally welcome and justified. Yeah. Like, her case is basically, like, you're the only person I've ever been with. I need time to, like, find myself, time to think. And uh, the lover's quarrel winds up with Kess kind of unilaterally announcing that they need to take a break. I think Jennifer Lean is is who you're made to really pay attention to here for what she's doing. But Ethan Phillips' performance was the one that really affected me. Like... Yeah. Ethan Phillips is made to be a clown most of the time, but his sad clown here is really affecting and well done by him. His sad clown is great. Also, the way he conducts himself in this confrontation is really aspirational because he does not get defensive. He comes from a place of what's best for you at every turn. Mm-hmm. You know, like he is he's really selfless and in a way that, like, I don't think he's always been written, you know? Yeah. Like, this was a great scene for him, both as a character and as an actor. If you want to be in a broom closet with someone, set them free. <laughs> if they don't come back to your broom closet, they was never meant to be. <laughs> hey, what's this sailor doing in here with us? <laughs> <laughs> How many broom closets does the sailboat have? I thought you said you wanted to go sailing. We need a sailor if we're going to go sailing. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
So Janeway's log tells us that they've made it to planet Alari and they're ready to do the passenger drop. And in the transporter room, we prepare to uh, bring aboard a representative from the Alari. And as soon as this person beams aboard, they are welcomed by Janeway, Tuvok, and Kess, who whips out a phaser and kills this person immediately, along with the ensign running the transporter. Fucking brutal. I didn't know that you could fire an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship, but uh, apparently you can. Yeah, and, uh, they changed the rules. Janeway slams Kess up against a wall. Somebody drops a Kirk chop on her, and Kess is like, the way her patterns of speech have totally changed. She's like running them through something that they've clearly drilled on, and up on the bridge, like Harry Kim is explaining to everyone that a shuttlecraft has been beamed directly into space, and now Kess and their two guests are jaking that shuttle and heading out of here. I think this is a good moment in the episode to discuss how little of this moment was telegraphed early on. Like, I really like that scene in the transporter room earlier where Kess is giving the tour. I really like how little we see of it and how there's nothing suspicious at the time. Nor when Tyrion dies in Six Bay, there's not that ECU on the hands touching and a weird look on Kess's face as the transfer happens. Like, none of this has been foreshadowed in a way that makes this moment very satisfying in its surprise. Absolutely. Like, I think that the only thing that I can think of that seemed a little bit weird was the way Cass hugged Nori. Yeah. But it also, like, wasn't totally out of character for Cass yeah. in that moment. And you can come up with headcanon for why she would have done it. And... Yeah, like there's episodes of TNG where like there's a disease going around and there's like a sound effect when the disease passes from person to person. And there was never anything that was like, oh, this guy is touching Cass in a weird way that is causing something to transfer to her. You never get anything. It comes as such a surprise and it's such a fun moment to be like, holy shit, where are we headed? I did not see this coming. It's really less is more throughout the episode in that way. And, And especially up until this point, a great choice. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, this shuttle goes to warp and is scattering its escape in a way that Voyager is left with its pants around its ankles. Like they cannot figure out where they went or how to chase them. Part of the effectiveness of the surprise is the transition between like gratitude and helplessness by these aliens to being one step ahead for basically the rest of the episode. Totally. Someone on that shuttle really knows what they're doing. So on the bridge, Chakotay sort of reads the scoreboard, and Mm. it's two dead, the shuttle is gone, Janeway's injured in six bay, and uh, what's the M.O., these guys, Ben? Their M.O. is that they're good. When she shot the Ilari representative, she went ahead and killed Ensign Martin, because at that point, what's the difference? We cut over to the shuttle where, I mean, it is just bang, bang, bang for them. They are in motion. And uh, Kess has beamed up Resh. And Resh is the person that gets the backstory that the viewer gets here too, right? Kess explains her transformation into Tyrion to him. I love that Resh has never 
been transported and has no way of like anticipating that he's going to be transported yeah. so he beams up like clearly he was just walking somewhere and he's like what the fuck <laughs> also you could help resh out by transporting him up facing forward instead of backward <laughs> like that's kind of a power move of a transport right yeah if yeah. you really want to get the upper hand early on like this is what they should do diplomatically if you're in opposition to a species that you're having a hard time with, beam them into the transporter room facing the wall. Yeah. What is this? The Darth Vader vibes when Tirna Kess starts uh, force choking Rash are pretty intense. Uh, I never thought we'd see Kess freshen anyone up again, but but here it is. Yeah. And they, these uh, their loaf is like they have like four extra nostrils on their on their nose loaf, yeah. and blood is coming out of all four of them on him. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucked up. On Alari, their CPAP machines are enormous. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just go for the full face mask, you know. Yeah. At that point, this is a scene that teaches us just a whole whole bunch about how this transference works and how many of the Miriam Kess powers Tyrion has yeah. at their disposal while he inhabits Kess's body. And that Tyrion has troops massing and like is is yeah. prosecuting some kind of dastardly plan, which uh, we need some more information on. So the captain convenes a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And they have Demis on board, who is the eldest son, the heir apparent to the Autark, the leader of, of this planet. And he explains that uh, Tyrion used to be the Autark and he's a psycho and he, you know, he like won this big, big war, but then he was like really bad as Autark when they were in peacetime. And Nori and Aiden are like uh, political extremists who have been trying to reinstall him as, as Autark. And uh, he's pretty concerned because he thinks that this means that they're they're getting ready to move against the Autark. This idea that Tyrion has been obsessed with the idea of body jumping as a form of life extension is something that interests everyone and maybe Neelix the most. Because the big takeaway for Neelix here is that Kess didn't actually break up with him. So he's been controlling her. Yes. Completely. Tirna doesn't want to date you, Neelix. Kes <laughs> didn't have anything to say about that. <laughs> and can you blame Tirna? Right. Because Fuok's in the room for yeah. this. Yeah. I want him to say something about a Katra. Like, my people would would call this, he put his Katra into Kes. If there was a Bajoran in the room, I would want them to say something about a Pa, you know? Like... This appears to be a mechanism that exists across multiple species in Star Trek. Is it all species? Is it the same mechanism? Or is it like a different kind of mechanism in different species? It, like the idea of God having many names to many different yeah. civilizations. Like it is all the same thing among all species, this idea. Right. Feklar is Satan. I think that's a good point. I also wondered in this scene... If we are supposed to side with Damas at all, because like in every scene with him, I kind of got fail son vibes from him yeah. in a way yeah, that he's... got me off of his side. Like, are we are we to root for him and the installation of him back uh, at the head of the table for his government? I, I didn't really care. Yeah. 
your political leader is called Autark, which already makes me think he's a bad person. <laughs> you know, I think one of the ways that we're not on his side from jump is that he's always campaigning for war. Like he's on Voyager and he always wants to use Voyager's advanced weapons for his own purposes. And this is something that Janeway routinely pushes back on. She also pushes back on it when he gives his uh, condolences for Kess because his position is that there's no way that you're going to get Kess back after what Tyrion did to her. So you might as well just make peace with that. And the captain is pretty quick to say, no, we're going to rescue her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, plan A is unfreaky Friday in Kess. And right. absent their ability to do that, then like shooting torpedoes is going to be plan B. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So they, they're still in orbit of Alari, and they are, like, scanning the HQ of the castle, and it seems like the, uh, the attack has already begun. Didn't you like the energy of these crosscuts? Because, like, every time people on Voyager are just talking... Kess slash Tyrion is like on the move, shooting people and like making moves and, and flying the shuttle and doing all this shit. Like it really felt like the crew of the Voyager was just slow and yeah. bureaucratic and like just behind the whole time. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, of Shin Godzilla, the way like Godzilla is just like rampaging through the city and like the government is like, we need to convene right. several committees to talk about what's going on and can come up with a plan. And it's yeah. like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. He like stepped on a building. <laughs> I also just think Jennifer Lean's perform like there are many things about Jennifer Lean's performance in this episode that are really impressive, like the the like different ener the energy that she draws on to perform Tyrion than what she draws on to perform Kes, but also like the way she does violence, like that snatching the phaser and killing people, is so kinetic. It's like blink and you miss it. Like yeah. she moves so quickly and is really scary as this character. I mean, the moment she steps to the president and shoots him point blank range, really sets the tone. <laughs> I wasn't aware that Tyrion would have this in her, but you see it go down and all of a sudden you understand the stakes for the rest of the episode. This could happen yeah. at any time. The symbol of being the reigning autark of this planet is to wear the neck brace of an ambulance chasing trial lawyer. <laughs> so, so they take the neck brace off the corpse and Kess puts it on and uh, she starts uh, redecorating immediately. You're going to want the talisman if you ever need to do a long transcontinental flight. Also, oh, yeah. it's kind of nice to have. Yeah. Keeps your jaw from like slumping open when you fall asleep. And like the pillow that they give you is just not going to cut it if you're trying to like lean against the window or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Come on. Kess also gets a costume change into the garments of the Alari. Like it's a very like form-fitting leather slash mirror universe kind of vibe. Yeah, she really looks like mirror universe Kira's uh, couturier <laughs> made or something for this role. I think that's an interesting comp to bring up because like Nana Visitor had a physical imposition as a mirror universe person that made you feel threatened you know, physically and mentally, but Kess really doesn't have that physicality as someone who is 
as short in stature as she is. So she's got to make up for it with crazy. There's a moment in this palace redecoration scene that I thought was really nice. Uh, Like we've talked about the subtlety that something was strange about Kess before the heel turn. And there is some subtlety to the idea that Kess might still be in there under Tyrion in this scene when she grabs a uh, a vase full of plants and is like getting ready to throw them away and then it like kind of plays it off like uh she's giving a flower to nori the flowers are still standing there's like a little glimmer of of kes's like established love of uh of botany in that moment that is not heavy-handed at all you know right Nori is really worried because Nori was Tyrion's wife and the whole point for her was getting to be queen or whatever of of the planet. And now that's impossible because Kes is a woman. There is some really fun gender and sexual fluidity happening here, like from this scene on until the end of the episode when... Kes is inhabited by Tyrion. She is seductive of Nori, obviously, as someone that that has been uh, their partner before. But when they drag the younger son into the chamber, less than five minutes after watching his dad get murdered, there is like (laughs) a, a sexual form of seduction happening here. Yeah, she's really like pouring honey in his ear and like making the case that you could be on my team and... Uh, stay comfortable and like treat your political outrage as just like a a brief uh, a brief moment but uh you know like if you if you join with me you'll lend credibility to my claim on the throne and uh this will be great for both of us and the implication is also like maybe we could go sailing sometime <laughs> Oh, now she likes sailing? Everything you want can be yours for the asking. Back on Voyager, uh, Damas has chosen to stay there. Great decision, Damas. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Given what we're seeing on the surface. He's like, uh, if you could set me up with quarters while I'm here, and the doctor's like, come on! <laughs> I asked for quarters at the end of the last episode, and you basically laughed in my face. You've known this guy for 30 seconds, and he gets quarters? Are you kidding me? He's telling uh, Janeway and Tuvok that Tyrion has kind of assembled a quorum down there. Like, in very short order, he's put together supporters sufficient to overthrow his whole deal. The coup goes well, Enterprise. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But not well for Damas, who uh, should be Autark. Like, legally, he's saying legally, I am Autark now, but practically Tyrion has all the power so my claim on the throne gets weaker and less enforceable by the minute is the voyager a non-extradition ship i mean it seems like it would be um down in six bay doc holiday explains the mechanism by which Tyrion uh transferred his consciousness into Cass. and it's very subtle he had like a, a brain implant that at the moment of his death downloaded his mind, and then, like, it went down his arm and through the skin on the palm of his hand into her. Yeah, they, the doc shoots a black light at his palm, and it's just so gross. <laughs> oh. What he needs is one of those uh, balls that they keep in, uh, in the commissary. 
for washing your hands. Right, yeah. Looks like a episode of that MTV Room Invasion show. On <laughs> <laughs> the palm of his hand. They speculate that, like, like the first thing that Tyrion slash Kess is going to want to do is set up another way to transfer his brains again. You know, should there be uh, a threat to Kess Tyrion's life down there? Right. And if they did set up this sort of thing, uh, they've got a way to destroy it by way of a clip show device. Uh, one of those clip show devices that like magnetically sticks onto your head. <laughs> and Tuvok is like, hey, I could go, I could just go like sneak in there and do it. Like the, the Death Star has great defenses for a Starfleet attacking it, but they seem to have overlooked the idea of a, of a smaller ship. Have you seen how the waiters dress down there? They're, they're like wearing hoods. <laughs> I could fit in there, yeah. no problem. It's way easier than uh, 1997 Earth. <laughs> right. I had to wear a hat to hide my pointy ears down there. It sucked. Yeah, the thing that gives Tuvok away is the Jordans, though. Like he <laughs> he wore the same stuff that he wore down to L.A., but with the with the hood, and uh, the Jordans yeah, gave yeah. him away. <laughs> so Janeway sends a single man behind enemy lines, and we also kind of come to understand in this scene that the the headaches that Tyrion has been experiencing our Kess trying to fight back from inside and we cut down to the the palace where Aiden is finishing up installing a similar system in Kess uh, who has totally redecorated by this point like there's a picture of OG Tyrion on the wall behind them and we get the blacklight shot of Kess's hand and it's it's no picnic <laughs> And Aiden correctly suggests that Kess should maybe find a different body because this one isn't really working. What with yeah. all the headaches and everything. And Tyrion is like, no fucking way. Like, this body has force choking. I wouldn't be able to get that in any other body. That's a unique feature. Let me tell you something. When a person claims to have a headache when you suggest a sailing trip... Uh, maybe don't pivot into some sort of body commentary at that point. Yeah, come on, Aiden. This doesn't go very well. It's 2022. <laughs> Get with the times, man. You will not suggest it again. Tyrion slash Kess takes great umbrage with the idea uh, before convening kind of the first city hall meeting. <laughs> Getting a bunch of shit done. You know, hitting the ground running politically yeah. here before she seized upon the feeling that that there is a Tuvok in the room. There's an interloper there under one of these hoods, and she goes around the room, taking the hoods off of people before Tuvok comes around a corner and attaches this device to her cheek, and you think it's going to work. Yeah. But it's not there long we, enough to work. We didn't really get a sense of, like, how, like I wish they'd said, but it'll need to be on yeah. for at least five seconds yeah. or, or something like that. But, yeah, like, it's it's honor and then offer in the next instant because... Uh, one of the heavies snatches it, and uh, they grab Tuvok, and looks like he's off to the Star Trek Caves Come Dungeon. And just for the record, I didn't mean to say Come Dungeon. Oh, well, yeah. Star Trek Caves Come Dungeon is going to uh, look really fun and descript. I guess we know what's showing up on Out of Context Greatest Gen <laughs> this week. Right. Got to get that platinum, get that roll, metal 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So it seemed like Tuvok's plan was dog shit. And then I was like, oh, this was just a pretext for him to get into an interrogation context with Tyrion Kess so that he could mind meld her. So maybe it was actually an awesome plan. But then the mind meld doesn't work, so that 
winds up seeming like a bad plan, too. I'll tell you why it didn't work, Ben. He goes in one-handed. Yeah. You gotta meld two-handed. If we know anything about how the meld works in Star Trek, that yeah. second hand does a lot. Can make all the difference. In just about every context, <laughs> what the second hand is doing can really change the game. <laughs> But um, this does not does not work. It momentarily does because tu- because Tuvok gets to talk to Kiss. Yeah, she uh, explains that she's she's down in there. She's trying to fight back. She can feel him struggling to keep her suppressed. Uh, so he's able to give her some words of encouragement. But then Tyrion like re- reasserts himself and chaos Tuvok, and we are back up to Voyager for another McLaughlin group issue two. This time. Uh, they're going on the offensive. It's Dustbuster Club time. A Dustbuster Club that Neelix asks to be a part of. And yeah. does not make a very strong case for at all, I thought. You know, there are a lot of jobs that you want to have, like like they want you to have experience for to, to get them. And people pad their resumes. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of arguments to be made for that being an okay thing to do in an unfair economic system like capitalism. And I think that uh, that's a piece of uh, the playbook that Neelix should have drawn on here is uh, make the case for yourself a a little bit more forcefully with a little bit more self-confidence, Neelix. I wish this was a callback to the feet. (laughs) Like if there were something about Neelix's feet that were incredibly threatening and like velociraptor toe-like... (laughs) <laughs> that lady wouldn't have wanted to give him a foot rub if he had velociraptor toes yeah exactly but like the potential for him as a weapon i think would be more reasonable but as it is like on the surface i just see him like like the prediction is he's going to get into a situation where he's negotiating with Tyrion and he gets himself killed yeah the captain agrees to this really quickly for some reason and then they move on to just sort of the mechanics of the raid. And Kim is like, there's this force field, but we can knock it out with an EM pulse at this like particular moment. That should be no problem. And then we can start storming the compound. When Kess breaks in with her FaceTime and basically takes apart that plan specifically, did you think it was because she was in someone's mind in that room and could... Oh. And like in a in a locutus kind of way, knew the plan that was coming at her because I found it more than coincidental that she knew exactly what the weakness was that they were trying to exploit. God, that's really interesting. But I also thought that this was such an interesting twist because Tyrion is being fairly reasonable here. It's like, I know that you're like pissed off that I stole this lady's body and killed what's his nose, but like... I also really appreciate that you saved my life and uh, and saved my friends. So, like, why don't we just call this a draw and you can take that guy and get out of here? And, uh, like, I thought that was such an interesting moment. Uh, you know, it was an interesting thing to offer at this moment, I thought. Yeah. Because it's, like, it's got to be tempting, right? Like, oh, we could just not get in combat with this fucking <laughs> planet? <laughs> That'd be cool. I mean, there's just nothing in Janeway's makeup that's going to allow her to let this go, though. No. So Kess threatens them with a deadline, a deadline of 30 seconds before her warships will arrive on the scene. And it works. Voyager bugs out. Yeah. These headaches 
are really seizing upon Tyrion, and it's happening in public in a way that is concerning for everyone. And Dr. Aiden is like, you, you got to like transfer yourself. You, like, you got to let me help you with this. And again and again, Tyrion Cass is like, you need to shut the fuck up about that. I'm, I'm sticking with this. And I don't sleep because when I sleep, that's when I'm confronted by Cass. And pretty immediately like plops down in a chair and passes out. <laughs> I had wondered if we were ever going to get this scene, the scene of what it's like to have two people in one mind. And, and what we're given here compositionally is a room where half of it is this council chamber and the other half is a quarters in Voyager. And in the quarters is Kess and in the council chamber is Tyrion. And when they fight and argue, the camera moves around them in such a way that gives us these different backgrounds. This is an idea that Discovery did. I feel like maybe in season two where like two characters were talking to each other in two different rooms and they actually like comped the two rooms together yeah but this was nicely done and really subtle and a really intense one-on-one acting scene between jennifer lean and kelsey Grammer's college roommate (laughs) boy this guy's got all the kelsey Grammer stories i bet oh man (laughs) get this guy to a convention hey uh not so much a question about your role of Tyrion in the Star Trek Voyager episode Warlord. Or is your role as the Joran Dax uh, in that one at DS9 episode? <laughs> really wanted to get down into some earlier <laughs> phases of your career. More of an experimental phase, if you will. Uh, <laughs> what was Kelsey Grammer like as a roommate? <laughs> Did your character on Voyager have all those extra nostrils because you collapsed the ones that you were born with partying with Kelsey? (laughs) Do you still party? I'm going to take my answer in room 1418, uh, and I'm going to leave the door slightly ajar if anybody wants to come up and uh, set it off. Yeah, I'm going to take that like weird angled deadbolt thing that just looks like an L. (laughs) And I'm gonna I'm gonna close the door on that on the outside though. Get a life. So Aiden wakes up, Tyrion after this confrontation, and she like an animal. You're not supposed to wake up an animal who's having a bad dream. And mm. uh, Kess just fucking freshens him up to death for waking her yeah. up. Yeah, the doctor gets his ticket punched. Kind of a growing <laughs> body count here that is not referred to at the end of the episode. The shot of the blood bubbling out of all these nose holes is so upsetting, too. Because it, it, like, pools in the actor's eyes. Rusty pipes. But this does not slow Tyrion Kess down. She's throwing, like, a big party the next day to announce uh, her betrothal. Yeah. The uh, Autark's second fail son, Amalon, will be her husband, which comes as a total shock to nori who did not get like any advance warning that this was about to go down and then to soften the blow is invited into kind of a thruple that she also didn't know was happening (laughs) (laughs) listen i'm open-minded but like this is something you want to negotiate in private you know not in a party in front of your friends and family (laughs) and this is not a great time for voyager to have returned either but that's what happened And uh, Tyrion is so scatterbrained that they're ignoring 
the threats that the Voyager poses in favor of continuing the celebration and making weird yeah. proclamations. Yeah, the guy that they beamed up to the shuttle before is like, hey, we should probably get to undisclosed location <laughs> so that we're all safe from this attack. And Tyrion is just not about that. Uh, wants to uh, finish the big feast and uh, keep enjoying things. And, uh, you know, bangers start getting dropped. Tyrion becomes convinced that there are infiltrators in the room and starts going around tearing face coverings off of the guards and waiters who are all Alari people. Hey, guess what, Tyrion? Uh, you know, among all the proclamations you're making about uh, there being war gardens in every yard or whatever, you could change the w- uniforms that your guard has to wear. <laughs> like, at any point, you could change it to a non-hood sort of dress code. Yeah, have have the ears at least be showing so that you could uh, yeah. get a sense of... <laughs> Seems to be within your power. Yeah. Anyone who tries to leave this room will be shot as a traitor. Down in the Star Trek caves, Tom Paris, for some reason, is the person that they sent to rescue Tuvok. Mr. Paris, am I making any sense here? By himself? He has got a great big phaser rifle, though. When you got a phaser rifle that big, all you need is one Tom Paris. Yeah, you really do. Uh, they get in a Star Trek fight with a couple of these guards in the Star Trek caves, and we cut back up to combat in the uh, in the Great Hall, where the uh, Voyager crew are the frontline soldiers in the assault on uh, on the royal family, and uh, and Damas, I guess, is there with them. This is what happens. Like they lost their expendable crew person in the transporter room earlier. Like, yeah. That was the one red shirt left on on Voyager. (laughs) They had to bring their A-team down here this time. This ends with a showdown where Neelix has a dustbuster on Tyrion slash Kess and is backing her into a corner and uh, winds up having to stun her. Amelon attempts to rush to Kess's aid but, uh, but gets grabbed by his big brother. And Kess is brought back with the aid of the clip show device. Yeah. But she's like, bad news, guys. He's not dead. I wish I could tell you he was, but I'm feeling him somewhere in this room. And uh, it turns out he's gone into Amelon. So they put the clip show device on Amelon, and I guess... Amelon's like, you're not going to wipe that thing off? Like, that was just on another person's face. No, you can't do this. (laughs) This is a medical device. I have very sensitive skin. You don't think that's going to break me out? You can't just hot swap those. This is why they have needle exchanges for people to use intravenous drugs. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Here's a Star Trek rule. You never use a clip show device more than once. I mean, but the oceans are filling up with single-use clip show devices. You see turtles trying to swim around with them, like, hanging around their necks. It's really sad. Crusted up around their shells. It's awful. That's why I bring my own clip show device to to a coffee shop. Like, just use my own. Hey, can you fill this up? Yeah. Sorry, health code. We can't do it. We can pour it into a paper cup and give that to you, and you could pour it in. Yeah. Cool. Good solution. Yeah. (laughs) So Tyrion is dead. Uh... Damas installed as the new leader of this planet. Uh, war averted. I'm not sure if I care. But they got cast back, and, and that I care about. God, that's just the thing, isn't it? So the button on the episode is uh, is a scene we've seen a lot over the years in Star Trek Voyager. It's it's Kess and it's Tuvok, and they're doing meditation. And Kess is having a difficulty that if if you're someone who meditates... 
uh, can happen fairly often. It's it's like the intruding thoughts of the outside. She just can't get clear in this moment in a way that she's used to. I just had to kill a lot of people. You were not responsible for Tyrion's actions. And Tuvok kind of encourages her to view this as a fresh start. You're not going to be able to forgive the lengthy body count that you have. (laughs) You're going to run into people in the corridors, Cass, that knew the ensign that you murdered in the transporter room. (laughs) You're just going to have to get over that along with everyone else. They're going to give you, you're going to get a lot of hairy eyeballs from that guy's friends. Yeah. And that's, and that's how we get to our three credits with a new start. For Cass. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I think this episode suffers from a lack of equivalence in like the two things we're supposed to care about. We are supposed to care about Cass, and we do, and I do. I care about her well-being, and I care about her rescue. But the whole government aspect to this, where we're supposed to care about reinstalling the the toppled government in there for reasons that the fail sons <laughs> are feebly able to articulate, like that part falls apart. And while I have great respect for what Jennifer Lean brings to this, like there are a number of episodes where cast members are asked to carry the the entire thing. Yeah. I'm thinking of episodes where Roxanne Dawson has been made to do that several times. Jennifer Lean does. Yeah. And she, and you could argue she has a more difficult task because in those episodes where Roxanne Dawson had to do it, she's playing two parts of the same personality. Right. Jennifer Lean is playing someone completely different and doing a very capable job in the process. And I think if you are to like the episode, you're going to have to get with like Jennifer Lean carrying it. And I do. But man, I wish that other half of things was a little more bulked up. I wish I cared a little more about that other thing we're supposed to care about, not just the one. I think that's a good point. Like, there's a aspect of the political situation on Alari that it is discomforting to a viewer because it seems like a bad government. Yeah, it seems like the reinstallation of something that wasn't that great anyway. Right. So, so like, I mean, Janeway says at one point, like, I think that, like, our needs are aligned because I'm just trying to save Kess. Like, I don't really give a shit what happens with your government, but but it looks like saving Kess will involve getting you back on the throne, so, like, maybe we can help each other. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I think that the way to enjoy this episode is to enjoy it as a, you know, as a sandbox for Jennifer Lean to do some some really fun acting, and um, I did enjoy it in that way. Like, it's a, it is a really weird episode, the the like tone shifts between the Caribbean fuckfest, <laughs> the beginning, this like dark autocratic government on this fucked up planet, and the and the warlord inhabiting Cass's body. But uh, I guess like overall, I kind of thought it was successful despite that weirdness. I thought the climax to the episode was really well done. When you're blocking action from a number of different characters doing things simultaneously, a whip pan is really useful. And especially if the if the direction is like telling Kate Mulgrew to do one thing, and then we've whipped into another area where Paris is doing another one thing, you're able to create yeah. sort of a compound 
kinetic energy to it that I thought was really effective. And by the time we've whipped all the way around back to Neelix, like it's a fairly exhaustive, exhausting moment to come to that yeah. moment. And I thought that that point in particular was really well done. Give it up for the whip pan, Ben. Yeah. Star Trek does not always have the greatest action scenes, but this one was really successful. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you say we whip on over to the priority one messages, Ben, and see if we've got anything in there that's action packed? Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature, Adam. It goes like this. Hey, friends of DeSoto. We're the Downs siblings, and we have a podcast you'll love. You know, two guys a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Now try three siblings who should be very embarrassed to have a Supernatural podcast. Three Idgits in a Pod is a sibling supernatural rewatch podcast. Did you say a sibling supernatural? (laughs) (laughs) I did. Uh, It's inspired by the greatest gen. Join us for one percenter silly audio drops as we learn podcasting and watch Supernatural with a cross-generational fan lens wherever you get your podcasts. L-L-A-P-F-O-Ds. So search for Three Idiots in a Pod wherever you get your podcasts and leave them a five-star rating and review on iTunes as it helps others find them. Thank you. Boy, when you make Supernatural the source of your rewatch podcast and you recognize that that is a show with 15 seasons, (laughs) 327 episodes, that is like one of the longest-running shows on TV ever. Wow. I did not realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And a super popular show. The only reason we have any success is that, <laughs> that we're reviewing a super popular show. So, yeah. Very cool. Ben, our second message is from Danalist. It is to Bobby. And the message goes like this. Thanks for introducing me to this great podcast. I owe you for the many hours of laughing and embracing the nerdiness I always had. Of course, also thanks to Adam and Ben for the pod. Thanks, Danalist. And thanks, Bobby, for uh, for spreading the good word. Yeah, Bobby's doing the good work out there. Bobby's supporting the show by recommending us to other people. Yeah, I hope Danalist gave Bobby a hundred bucks also. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, our last P1 here is from Kyle and Nancy, and it's to the Kyle and Nancy who had a P1 on the October 24th, 2021 episode of TGG. goes like this. Who are you? <laughs> Are you our transporter clones or our mirror universe doubles? Kyle is the same age as you, and your P1 was read right after our anniversary weekend. <laughs> anyway, we should probably meet so we can either fight to the death or determine which Kyle and Nancy needs to change their names. Uh, I guess Kyle is the one sending this, so find me on the Drunk Shimoda Discord. I'm at KAGE23 hashtag 1701. Wow. So there can be only one Kyle and Nancy, according to this Kyle and Nancy. Yeah. What Kyle and Nancy don't realize is that the other Kyle and Nancy are are trained killers. (laughs) We're choosing to believe this is not a message of a threatening nature, (laughs) which ordinarily we would not read on the show. Right. Maybe it's playful threatening. Yeah. 
The kind that we like. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who got a P1 this week. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you listening out there would like to get one, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get it set up today. We hear all the time about how we are like changing people's small business or podcasts with our reading of them like for the worst it's kind of amazing to get the (laughs) the feedback about those things and the and those that do the promotional p1s on our show like really do get an effect from that so uh if you're as shocking as that is it it has actually has actually borne fruit for some people if you're a business that's too small to do an actual advertisement like if you're if you're that kind of small business a p1 might be for you so consider it yeah hey ben What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Yeah, this is an off-screen drunk Shimoda this week. Uh, I'm going to give it to the cam op that had to do these zooms on Neelix's feet on Uh. today's episode. (laughs) Oh, no. That's a, uh, I mean, like, a slow zoom in on Neelix's foot to theme is just a pretty insane composition choice. It's a strong choice. Yeah, whoever whoever made the call. I don't know if it was the director of photography or or the director or whatever, but uh, you know, who knows. I want to see Neelix's foot up on the foot clinic sign <laughs> in Echo Park. Like that's the that's the graphic I want to see. Mm. Yeah, happy <laughs> Talaxian we... foot, sad Talaxian foot. Yeah, exactly. Talaxian <laughs> foot on crutches. Talaxian foot uh <laughs> jumping for joy. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, lo- local Talaxian foot jokes get you local Talaxian foot work, Adam. That's right. How about yourself? Did you find a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Everything about Resh really appealed to me as a Shimoda, from mm. being beamed aboard the shuttle backwards to pushing back with some force on Tyrion. Like, all of his gripes made a lot of sense. In the end, Resh was, was right about all of it. Uh, he got really freshened was. up a little bit, which made me sad. <laughs> I didn't like that, but like every moment that Resh was on screen, and this is Charles Emmett uh, playing him, uh, I really, really dug his deal. Big yeah. fan. Charles Emmett, also just a really busy actor, like, yeah. has has been working for a long time, still out there doing a lot and, a real uh, that guy of yeah. of your of your actors out there it was really fun to see him yeah objection noted we'll do this without really fun to see where we are on the game of buttholes the will of the caretaker ben oh yeah yeah because uh, next week we'll be watching season three episode 11 the q and the gray Voyager encounters several supernova in a small region of space. Q soon appears and reveals that they are the after effects of a civil war within the Q continuum. How about that? Big shit popping in the Q continuum. I remember watching in uh, in middle school the Ken Burns documentary of the Q civil war. And uh, mm. really amazing. Really great work. I mean, Ken Burns does it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My dearest Ida, (laughs) the war has been going on. Well, we don't really consider time in the same way that you do. You would not understand. I keep snapping my fingers, and more and more people die. Adam, 
the runabout is currently on square 40 on the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Uh, we are within range of a Coco Nono if we hit a six. I, I texted you before the program today to suggest we Coco Nono this one because of what Neelix had going on in the holodeck. Yeah. But uh, you just laughed at me, so we didn't do it. Yeah, another another text unreplied to. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. But maybe next week will be our uh, our lucky week. Who knows? How about that? I like your chances. Yours more than mine, anyway. Oh, not even close, Adam. I rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us on square 41. A one? What are you doing, yeah. man? I'm kind of biting your rhyme. What is that? It's just a regular episode next week. I'm sorry. I'm sure we can find a way to make it fun. <laughs> okay, maybe. I like Q Anyways. episodes. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, in the meantime... We got to uh, thank all the friends of DeSoto who support our work at MaximumFun.org slash join. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program. And we got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs our social media at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Real fun follows. Follow us on on the, on the social meds. Yeah, you got to do that. I mean, I don't want to say that as a friend of DeSoto, your, your job is incomplete if you don't. <laughs> But there are a lot of friends of DeSoto out there for you to meet, and the way to do it is uh, is getting out there on the social meds. Using the hashtag GreatestGen, perhaps? Gotta do it. That'll get their attention. Also follow Adam Ragusea on uh, YouTube. He's a, he's a chef on YouTube, but on, in the podcast realm, he's a great musician. He made all of our custom theme music. Of course, following in the footsteps of Dark Materia, who made the original Picard songs. Yeah, Dark Materia also made a very popular YouTube cooking channel. It's weird, like how many things Adam Ragusea is is following in the footsteps of. Yeah, yeah. What's that about, man? Yeah, kind of a, a weird obsession, if you ask me. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where we break into <laughs> weird epistolary southern accents uh, pretty often. Oh, this is what we do best. Yeah. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.